Welcome to the Free Course Politics Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Hills. And today is episode 15. And boy, do we have a wide array of stuff to talk about today, Elsie. Uh, it is a uh, Merry Christmas Eve episode, too. That's so Santa true. may come. That's true. Santa might be our guest. Or whoever the spirit person is for Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. <laughs> Hey, and Santa is very conservative. <laughs> That's true. We're trying to convert Santa to vote Dem in 2020. So we'll see how we do by the end of the episode. <laughs> May not be good. <laughs> Probably not. We're going to get clean coal <laughs> in our stockings. <laughs> um, on today's podcast, we're going to talk a little uh, impeachment and some Trump polling updates on impeachment, how it, how it all uh, spans out uh, as the appetizer. The entree, we are traveling. We are packing our bags and going over to the UK. So get your passport and come with us. And as we talk about what the UK election means and what happened over there. Our side dish is Tulsi Gabbard and uh, why she's in the news this week. And uh, our dessert is going to be something special. Our dessert is Hills and I have taken the top 11 Democratic candidates, and we have compared them to the appropriate Star Wars movie. So uh, both Hills and I saw The Rise of Skywalker, and we thought, what better way to celebrate The Rise of Skywalker than to take the top 11 Dems, the top 11, well, the only 11 Star Wars movies, and compare them and see who matches up with who. I am very excited you always want your dessert first, but you're going to have to wait and be patient because it is going to be something else. Yeah, I think, uh, and we, we don't know who each other picked. We decided to do this in secret. So I don't know the list that Josh has, and Josh doesn't know the list that I have. I can tell you that my list is pretty spectacular, and I expect nothing less from you, from you Hilsey. So we'll see what happens. Every candidate, every candidate is episode two, Attack the Clones. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, every candidate for me is cats. So, um. <laughs> draining the soul from our bodies, <laughs> minute by minute. Um, before we get started, quick note is: Are you registered to vote? If you don't know, you can go to vote.org right now. We'll pause the podcast and we'll wait, and uh, you can register and then come back and finish this pod. It doesn't take very long at all, and uh, you guys should all get out there and register to vote. But you should. You should. I mean, time's ticking. If you haven't registered, we've been saying it every episode. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. You have to. You got to do it. The soul of a democracy is on your shoulders. So just go and register. Vote.org. Um, and now we have a little pre-dinner shot, Elsie. Yep. Uh, we're, it's a good one. And uh, here it comes. Okay, really good pre-dinner shot coming at you. Which media mogul owns influential media companies in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, and has helped shape their election outcomes? Again, which media mogul 
owns influential media companies in the United States, the United Kingdom, and Australia, and has helped shape their election outcomes. It is a one one person. It is a great question, and the person is not a great person. So, very true, <laughs> very very true. So, uh, well, we look forward to the answer at the end of the podcast. Uh, if you want to uh, take a second and think about it and make your guess, go ahead and do so now. And uh, you will get the, the answer at the end of the podcast because your appetizer is coming up next. Here is your, your appetizer. Your appetizer is all about Trump impeachment, uh, the update we have, and what the polling would suggest uh, how popular Trump impeachment is. Because that, that's our, our new name. It's no longer impeachment, it's Trump impeachment. Staying on brand. I love it. Uh, so impeachment, uh, what happened and why does it matter? So, uh, Trump this past week, uh, was impeached on two accounts. Uh, he was impeached on obstruction of Congress and he was impeached on the abuse of power. Uh, both of these accounts were pretty strictly on party lines. You had no Republicans who voted for it. You had uh, almost every single Democrat voting for it. A few, like three or four, didn't vote. One person that we'll talk about later decided to vote fucking present, and that was a joy. Um, so, but Trump is officially impeached. It doesn't matter uh, what the Senate does, and we'll get there. But Trump was officially impeached. So why does it matter? It matters because Trump becomes just the third president to be impeached. You had Bill Clinton, who was impeached. You had Andrew Johnson, who was impeached, and Richard Nixon was about to be before he resigned. So you've got um, three presidents now. And Trump's legacy, at least in the, in the mind of anyone who's not in the MAGA base, is officially tarnished because he was impeached, and that doesn't happen very often. It's a big deal when it happens. And the history books and everything will know that Trump was impeached. And so, as with majority of the stuff that he does, uh, it ends up having a huge stain on it. Um, and, you know, it may not be a big deal for the election in 2020, but it's a big deal for how history views and remembers this man. Yeah, uh, he's, he'll go down in history as, as being part of the process. And I think the history books, and I think you'll agree with me, will look pretty negatively on his actions and the republicans right now are just in their own world uh clinton's actions were different they're different they're just different he you know he may or may not have lied about something and but trump trump's like deliberately tried to use his the office of the presidency for his own political gain like it's he clearly violated the rules and I think history is going to look on him pretty unfavorably. And as time goes on, they're going to see that this was a pretty good use of the impeachment process. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And if you look at what he's charged with, too, it's not, you know, a minor thing. Obstruction of Congress, you know, like that's like even to the average person who doesn't know what that means, which essentially just means you, you didn't let Congress do its job. Um, and, and you got in the way of them trying to do something. Um, 
if you didn't know that, right, uh, it just sounds bad. And abuse of power, I mean, it's right there. It's self-explanatory. So these are two really serious charges being brought up against Trump. And, um, you know, it's tough to say what it means moving forward. Uh, you know, it's, it, 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 it's really, it really is hard to say. I think impeachment won't be as big of a deal as some people think it will be. It's just important for us to know as Democrats and as a society that if you violate the Constitution, regardless of your political party, um, then you're, there are going to be consequences. So, yeah. Um, no, yeah. I think you made a good point about it may not impact anything politically right now, but it was the right thing to do. Which then you start thinking about why did the Dems make every, and they did it for a precedent reason, but like why did the Dems do everything to accommodate the Republicans in like getting uh, time, all that good stuff, like getting time, getting time to speak, getting time to call their people. Because we all know if this happens to a Democratic president in the future, which the Republicans see this as partisan, so they're going to do it immediately, they're going to just not give the Democrats any rights and then people won't give a shit about it. Like, <laughs> people will be, they won't say anything. So that, again, I don't know. I think it was the right thing to do. I think, you know, precedent isn't always a big deal uh, because it clearly one person, one party doesn't care about it. But you're right. It was a big deal to do it. And so uh, the next part is what comes next. So what comes next is kind of tricky. Um, I actually didn't know this, but the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has to actually deliver the impeachment to the Senate before they can get started with their actual trial because the impeachment vote happens in the House and then you get impeached in the Senate. I knew that part. But I didn't know that the Speaker has to actually deliver the impeachment charges. So Nancy Pelosi has yet to do so. She has yet, yet to actually deliver the impeachment charges to, to Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Now, why is she doing this? Right? Why is she essentially holding up the trial? Um, and the main reason that she's doing it is because she does not want, or she doesn't think that it is a fair trial so far. And she's right about that. Mitch McConnell has basically said, I am not an impartial juror. He said those exact words. So in Nancy Pelosi's mind, right, if you're going to not have a fair trial, if you're not going to let us call witnesses like Mick Mulvaney and John Bolton, right, then in Pelosi's argument is, well, what's the point? It's, it's a sham trial anyways. Um, so she said that she's not going to give the impeachment charges until a fair trial is guaranteed. I think at some point she will end up uh, giving it to, to Mr. Connell. I think that you you can't, if you're a den, you can't go through the whole impeachment process, but then ne just never deliver the, um, the impeachment charges. So uh, that's where we are now. I think in January, um, you know, there'll be some more pressure on her. But as of right now, the charges have not been delivered to Nan to uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I, I, th I think they need to deliver the charges, and this will just end up looking bad on Pelosi. Just think about the, the core messaging here is that Pelosi's not giving me the thing, so I'm not going to do anything. I mean, McConnell doesn't care. He's, he'd rather, I mean, he'd rather get this done, but then again, he'd, he's just going to have a, a, a crappy process. But again, I think it's, uh, 
Pelosi needs to figure out the right way to deliver it to like get her out of this thing. It wasn't a bad idea, but I think they executed it way too quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, now we move on to the polling update. So how popular is impeachment? And it basically depends on who you ask. Um, there is a uh, there's a poll done by 538, which basically tracks impeachment from October 6, 2019, so this year, until basically until Trump was impeached uh, um, by, by the Dems on uh, December, um, what day was that? He was, like, he was impeached December. It was like December, December 18th. 18th, yeah. Yeah, if it was. Um, and so according to this, this is it, you know, according to the average, you have about 83. Uh, Dems who are in favor of impeaching Trump. Uh, you've got about 9.7 Republicans that are in favor of impeaching Trump. And 42% of independents that are in favor of impeaching Trump, which leads to 47.3% of all Americans who want Trump impeached. And this kind of speaks to the, uh, the message of what people have been saying with impeachment. Uh, impeachment remains pretty much unchanged. You know, we are now, you know, six days out. There's not going to be a whole lot of polling data around the holidays, but impeachment remains pretty unchanged. Uh, in general, you will find about 50% of people support the impeachment. And depending on the poll you look at, it's either 50% or, you know, 48 or 47 or somewhere along those lines do not support the impeachment. So, um, like I said before, you know, the fact that 50% of the people want to impeach the president is pretty crazy. Like, impeachment is a pretty big thing. The fact that 50% of the people want to do it is pretty, you know, pretty remarkable. Um, you know, would you like it to be higher? Of course. But those numbers aren't bad. You know, there are 10% of Republicans, apparently, who want to impeach the president. I would love to meet them and shake their hand and show them a little pee judge. <laughs> but... The um, Jeff Flake Republicans. Yeah. Yeah, the Jeff Flake ones who are now out of office. Um, so anyways, uh, this will be very important to watch as we move forward. You know, starting in the new year, we're going to have the Iowa caucus, the New Hampshire primary. How does impeachment play in there? Uh, the president may be having his impeachment trial as he gives the State of the Union in February. So that would be pretty uh, remarkable. But um that was your uh, Trump impeachment and polling update. I know, Hilsey, if you want to add anything before we head to the office. Yeah, I just want to, so the, the, the thing that we're looking at is projects.538, you know, spelled out, dot com slash impeachment dash polls. And the one thing that I'm looking at as I'm scrolling through this page, and Josh summed it up pretty well, is that it's, re- it's really consistent. Did you see that, Josh? It's like, yeah. they really, there's really no change. Like, yep. people have made up their minds at that point, at the beginning of this, and they have not changed it. Although, the ima- number of Americans supporting impeachment has gone, it's tied, it was like below water, and now it's just above. Um, so it seems like some people are more open to it, but in terms of party affiliation, um, uh, it seems pretty consistent that, you know, the the number of people who had the opinions on this 
are the same people by party. So it just shows that the Republican messaging at this point ended up being pretty good to their people because not enough of the Democratic messaging or the truth, a.k.a., got out to them. Yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, there's a, and maybe you can put, you can put this in the show notes, Elsie, um, or the episode notes, is just the link. Because uh, it's important, it's, it's fun to look at. If you look at when Pelosi announced the impeachment inquiry, you had 71% of Democrats who supported it. And then she announced it and went through the impeachment process and 71% rose to, you know, about uh, 84, 83, somewhere in, in that range percent. And that shows what a good job the Democrats did with their impeachment trip trials and all the evidence that came out against Trump. You look at uh, independents. When Pelosi announced the, the impeachment inquiry, 34% of uh, independents supported the impeachment. And now you have <clears throat> 42. So that's an eight-point bump in independents who supported impeaching the, the, the president, which again shows what a good job the Democrats did with their uh, impeachment inquiry and the House hearings and stuff. People did pay attention. People do care. Um, so um, that is a, that's, that's a good point. And it's a good, it's a good uh, graph to look at if you, uh, if you have a chance. So I'll put it in the show notes. That's a good call. All right, so that is that, and your appetizer is coming up next. Welcome back, and uh, if uh, we are in the UK for this segment, so cheerio. (laughs) (laughs) If you're English and and listening to this, I apologize. So we're going to talk about the UK election, and not just about the UK election, because why would you care about that? It's, we're going to talk about what it means for the U.S. because it actually has a lot of good points. The U.K. is similar to us in very many ways. So I think it, this is important to talk about how it will affect 2020. So we're going to – what happened? So the U.K. election was held on December 12th, 2019, I believe. It wasn't the 13th, so it was the 12th. And Boris Johnson, who was the interim prime minister, won in a landslide election. He's part of the Conservative Party, which is the equivalent to the – Republican Party, though I think they're a little less right-wing than our Republican Party, but they're also called the, the called the Tories. That's like like the GOP is called the Republicans, you know, all that. They're called the Tory Party. So they won an 80-seat majority, which is the largest in 30 years since 1987. And the Labor Party, which is the equivalent to our Democratic Party, uh, shrunk to 206 seats in the House and in, in Parliament. So that's not very good. It was a pretty big win by Boris. Um, and so why does it matter what happened? So the Tory party, the conservatives that Boris Johnson is part of, campaigned on getting Brexit done. Uh, without going into a lot of it, Brexit has been in contention in the UK ever since it happened in 2015. And uh, there's been back and forth, there's been court rulings, um, lots of predictions about what Brexit will do for the economy in England, will do for the EU, will uh, we'll do for the US. But Boris Johnson was one of the proponents of Brexit, and he campaigned pretty heavily on, we're going to get this done, it's going to be easy, just watch and see, I'm going to do this for you. Um, there are likely lots of changes, both social and domestic, um, 
you know, coming into England, there'll be probably cuts to social welfare in England. There'll be cuts to the National Health Service in England, I'm sure. You know, there'll be probably slower movement on climate change thanks to this election. Um, and more importantly, it just shows another victory for conservative slash right-wing forces around the world. And to give you a perspective, um, Australia had an election much earlier in 2019. Um, there, it had, the conservatives had an upset victory, not a majority victory, but they still won out um, in a very divided Australia. So um, before we jump into 2020, Josh, you have any thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, I think that uh, Boris Johnson and Trump have a lot of things in common, a lot of similarities. Uh, their hair is one of them. Uh, their, their boyish, uh, personalities is uh, another one. No, um, you know, they do have a very similar technique and messaging and Boris Johnson, you know, unfortunately to his credit, uh, was very focused on, you know, his message of we're, we're going to get this done. Brexit's going to happen. It's a good thing. You tried all these other people and it didn't work. Watch, elect me and we'll get it done. And my feeling is that most of the people in Britain just figure at this point Brexit's going to happen and we should just go with uh, the person who says that they're going to get it done, which is Boris Johnson. And that's part of the reason I think they won in such a overwhelming fa- fashion. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because, as you said, Hills, uh, the world is kind of battling this conservative right-wing uh, flow that's happened since you know, really Trump was um, in office and since the Brexit happened originally in 2015 and uh, progressives are in a bit of a hole and they got to dig themselves out of it if they want to get back into this, you know, national fight that's happening. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And to give, you know, to give listeners some perspective, it's not just the Anglo countries, you know. Yes, in the U.S., uh, Canada is a little bit of an exception to the conservative uh, people have gained ground in the recent election this October. Australia, you have India, you have um, different countries in Europe like Austria, parts of Germany, you um, Italy, France. They mm. haven't necessarily won there yet, but they've been gaining ground significantly. Thank God for uh, uh, Macron, because if there, if the right wing woman who won uh, had won for France, I mean that's a- another country that, you know, is pretty powerful in the world. It's also go- going heavily conservative. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Brazil. Uh, yeah, Brazil. Um, so there's a lot of countries that have um, been doing this trend. So anyway, so there's a big trend on this. There's a macro trend around the world. And this is a good segue into what we can learn for 2020. What can the UK election, what little bits can inform us to do better in 2020? So number one, the candidate matters. Jeremy Corbyn was is the leader of the Labour Party. I don't think he has stepped down yet, which I would have done the day after the election. Um, <clears throat> Jeremy Corbyn is a... I don't want to equate him to Bernie Sanders because I don't think that's very fair. Um, but in the same type of mold, he's an old-school uh, progressive socialist, and socialism isn't a dirty word in the UK. Um, he... Uh, he has a history of sometimes anti-Semitic remarks, which did not 
uh, sit well with some people and doesn't sit well with me, but he's apologized for them. He's very far left for some. He's like extremely um, progressive, and that is a little too far for some people. Um, against the, you know, he did well in 2017. The UK had this election in 2017, and the Labour Party actually won seats because of his campaigning. But Boris Johnson's a much more skillful campaigner than Theresa May was. And against this more skillful campaigner, his message seemed too left and you know, he was viewed as divisive. If you've already tarnished the candidate, no one's going to really pay attention to the candidate's message at that point. Although we saw for Trump, but <laughs> in an age where the candidate matters over party, choosing the right person is really key. And doesn't mean right as in, um, doesn't mean right as in like, it means the most likable almost, or at least has some some sort of likability factor. And although Trump was is you know we remember twenty sixteen. Enough people had a. If you ask people, like my some people in my family, they didn't vote for him, but they said, "Oh, the first words were he's a businessman," and that's what most of this country still continues to think. I think it, you really have to look at favorability, unfavorability, and what people think about a candidate. And the last thing is, while Boris is a moron, um, he had more going for him than Corbyn. You know, Trump. Trump is still a moron, and I think it's very consistent. Like the the. The similarities are there. So, you know, we have to make sure the candidate that we choose is a solid candidate who knows how to do things, who has good favorability ratings, who knows how to connect with people who aren't favorabilities. So the to-dos are to keep tabs on favorability polling on candidates going forward. Yeah. You know, I think we talked a little bit about this, but the idea that... um, you, you nominate a candidate who is really, really good is extremely important. And, you know, um, Hillary Clinton faced an unbelievable amount of sexism in her campaign. There's no doubt about that. But she also made lots of mistakes, lots of mistakes. And she was, you know, far from a perfect candidate. And against a political, um, I don't, you know, a political person like Trump who just, you know, doesn't have any experience and can just kind of go through, uh, you know, saying I'm a businessman, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, that's hard and you have to have a certain person. And it's very clear that Jeremy Corbyn was not the right person uh, for the Labour Party as they battled in this uh, new election. So um, the candidate yeah. is important. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Just look at just look at the the election at um excuse me, just look at the UK. You had Boris Johnson which is bumbling and everyone had all the information they needed on him and they still thought he was a safer bet than going with Corbyn who was kind of unlikable and maybe too progressive for people. Like mm-hmm. they saw they saw Boris as the stability choice. And that's what I'm worried about is that Trump will be the stability choice. So you have we have to make sure that even if we don't choose the right candidate at the beginning, the party has to make sure the candidate learns and gets stronger over the election. Um, which brings us into our next thing: messaging. So the the messaging in the UK election was all about Brexit. That was issue number one. Boers presented a hopeful view of Brexit. He said he's going to get it done. He said, "Don't worry, we're going to have a great trade deal with the US and the EU." I'm highly doubting of both of those things, but that's what he said. 
Um, it was the main election topic. Um, he made it tangible and he kept it simple. He didn't go into the details. He kept it simple. Does this remind you of build the wall? <laughs> um, again, keep it simple. Voters are not as intelligent as you keep, take them to be. And the voters who are intelligent are already going to vote for you. So you got to keep it simple. And labor was on both sides of this issue and didn't give people a chance to understand their positioning. Again, make a very clear position and keep your explanation simple. Easy as that. The thing that Trump, the only good thing that Trump did in 2020 and the 2016 was to keep his messaging super simple. Super you know, simple. You, super you simple. Ask, exactly. If you ask someone on the street, what did Trump stand for? They can list out two to three things off the top of a, you know, off their head. If the U.S. and what Hillary Clinton stood for, people weren't too sure. So you got to keep it simple and you have to repeat yourself. And you have to make it, you know, and you have to just kind of focus on one thing. I worry a little bit about the, the Democrats and, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do all these different things. And with Trump, it was, we're going to make America great again. We're going to build the wall. And I'm going to give you the best health care you've ever had. How are you going to do any of those things, Trump? Oh, well, I'm not going to tell you because that'd be stupid. I don't want to tell my political opponent how I'm going to do it. And he's like, oh, yeah, makes sense. You wouldn't want to tell your political opponent how you're going to do it. And people are just idiots. And so Democrats have to be careful. You don't, you don't have to go into, you know, details about this and that. And on the first day, it's like, you know what? Just tell people the three things that you're going to do. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's exactly right. You can have champion proposals, right? You, you know, you can have a proposal for everything, but you can choose three things at very most, maybe four, that you are gonna that you are gonna make your candidacy about, like your your champion proposals, like the things that you want to be known for. Yeah. Very easy. Um, and this brings us into cultural issues under the messaging topic. Boris exploited not only economic but also racial and social issues. Um, people, are, some people are very terrified of multiculturalism um, everywhere in the world, especially um, you know Western countries. They're terrified. Uh, some people are really terrified of what this means for them in in future. And the right wing uses that, and the Dems or the progressives must address this issue head on. It's not just enough to talk about economic populism because or what you're gonna to do to the economy to make it better because it's very important. But you also need to address this part because people are not equating the two together. You can't just ignore it. And I don't have a good answer for it, you know, other than you have to defend people's rights <laughs> and people in general and not uh, demonize them. But like, you know, the Democrats need to have a very compelling, forceful answer to this question. When people are scared of migration, other people, you know, anyone else, they have to have a really clear and concise answer to this. Address it head on. People will respect you for it. And people, all people want is some hope and want their fears to be addressed. And if they don't think their fears are being addressed by you, they're going to vote for the guy who know who has an answer for them. Yep. I completely agree. Um, it'd be so nice if everyone in the world was not afraid of multiculturalism and everyone in the world was accepting of you know, immigrants and, you know, that kind of stuff. And, but, you know, thanks to Trump uh, and just kind of right-wing media, people are very afraid. And it's really hard to get them not to be afraid. And so you have to 
you know, fill them with a little bit of hope. You have to keep it simple and you just have to go on just some basic things that you uh, uh, believe. Like, it's safe to campaign and say, we don't believe putting kids in cages. That's it. And and that's what Trump did. And you can run with, with that and make him defend himself on that. You know? Um, but you just got to be very, very careful and... And the the economy is is very strong in the U.S. right now, um, and Trump's gonna ride that wave to to the White House, and you can't screw it up by, uh, you know, going into all these details and saying that you're gonna abolish ICE and stuff. Um, so that's just that's that's my two cents on the whole cultural issue thing. Yeah, yeah, I uh, you know you have to you have to get a gas station and you gotta fill up the tanks with hope. <laughs> Gotta fill them up. You have to do super hope, premium hope, you know, extra and, premium hope. <laughs> diesel, diesel hope. Diesel and hope. <laughs> you know what? Premium hope might cost a little more. It might cost, you know, a little bit of extra effort, but it's worth it. Premium hope is always worth it. And I think we have our podcast name. <laughs> our, t- our podcast hope. title. Yeah. There it is. Our episode title. Um, so the the takeaways from the messaging issue is keep it simple, keep it hopeful, keep it personal, and engage on every issue. Would you say that's right? I would definitely agree with that. Definitely yeah. agree with that. So the last thing that um, we that we took from the UK election is voter targeting. Boris Johnson won seats in the old industrial heartlands where people just want hope. Does that sound familiar? So uh, the labor, labor drove out turnout in the city districts, but not enough in suburban and rural counties. There's not really a lot of suburbs in the UK. It's very like towns and villages type thing. But anyway, uh, this also sounds familiar where the Democratic Party drove out turnout in the cities, but didn't quite get the surrounding areas. So the rural areas should not be discounted, and we should be driving turnout in cities to offset the margins in the rural areas. But we also have to address people's needs with hope, short, concise answers on policies on how their lives will be improved by voting Democrats. So I don't think the rural areas are that hard. Yeah, they're harder to get to, but we need to engage all voters because we cannot just win with the cities. We need the suburbs, we need the exurbs, and we need some parts of the rural areas to vote Democratic, or else we're not going to win up and down the ballot. And we also need to be sure that, you know, that people vote because they want a better lives, better life for themselves. In 2016, Trump was promising everything under the sun to these folks, and he's still doing that today. And some people's lives have been better because the economy has worked. But I think the Dem has a real prime opportunity to present a clear, consistent, hopeful vision about why voting for Joe Biden, why voting for Pete Buttigieg, why voting why voting for Bernie Sanders is a good idea and will make their lives better than it already is. And we have to engage everyone on that. Yeah. You know, I think that if you look back at uh, 2016, I think the people who voted for Trump in large parts, whether it's uh, they're not educated on all the issues whether they didn't pay close enough attention, but lots of these people who voted for Trump and who voted for Boris Johnson are going to end up getting hurt by their policies. They just are. Trump and Boris are not like you. They're, they're, they're not like the blue-collar industrial person. They're just not. They've never been like that, and they won't be. And it's important for Dems to make that message. You don't have to win 
the rural areas, you don't have to win the less populated areas, the suburban areas, but you cannot discount them. And you have to try to offset, the, if you offset the margin in these places, and then you drive up turnout in the cities, that's the key to Dem uh, success in uh, 2020. That's a, you made a really good point, Josh. Boris and, and Trump's policies will end up hurting the people who voted for them the very most. It, will, it, might, it might take years, but it's, they're going to get screwed. <laughs> they're going to get screwed very badly. So uh, we just gave you a couple of things to think about. It's A, um, candidate, B, messaging, C, voter targeting, and uh, D, the, the thing that runs through all of this, is you got to give some hope. Got to give some hope and change, and uh, and uh, deliver it to them in a very clear, easy manner. So that's right. You have um, to the Santa of hope. The Santa. Of hope. <laughs> that might be the better episode title. <laughs> uh, Josh, do you have anything else to say before we say cheerio to our friends across the pond? No, I would just say uh, you know it's 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 going to be a dark period over in the UK. You know, the UK may not win back, the Labour Party may not win back any power uh, until 2030. I mean, they could be out of power for a full decade. So uh, keep the uh, keep the, the, the people in the UK uh, in your prayers, and let's hope that they find some way out of this. So uh, cheerio, and we're going to go have some tea and biscuits. Yeah, with our side dish. <laughs> We have all the things we need to make uh, to 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 stop this from happening. So, uh, side dish of tea and biscuits coming at you right now. Welcome to your side dish. Uh, we are having tea and uh, and biscuits because we were just in the UK and we wanted to stay a little bit. But anyway, uh, the side dish again. I will use I or Josh in this case me today. We use at most three minutes to talk about an item um, and Josh will decide if it stays on the menu, if it's something we want to see more of or if we want to see less of this thing. Uh, Josh, are you ready? I am ready. I have my timer out. So your three minutes. Uh, Hilsey, when you're ready, uh, let me know and I will start the timer and you can go ahead and start. I am ready. All right. Three, two, one. You're on the clock. So the side dish today is Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard, (laughs) Congresswoman from Hawaii. Uh, She is running for president of the United States. Uh, Gabbard has had a checkered history. She has been flip-flopped on, I think, gay issues as well. I think she had was came out really against them when she was running uh, for Congress. She also, I think, believe in uh, 2014, uh, met with President Assad of Syria without anyone knowing, dictator who killed thousands if not millions of his own people and made people flee the country um, for whatever reason. I actually don't know why she still did that. Anyway, she's running for president. Uh, She's been going on Fox News. She's been trashing fellow Democrats. She loves to trash Hillary Clinton. Um, And I She's trying to win points with Republicans for a potential third-party spoiler bid. I'm not quite sure what her strategy is on this. I mean, she's been really just screwing the Democratic Party every time that she gets on Fox News. And I I think she is she trying to cut her favor with Trump. Not too sure. However, uh, a real profile in courage. She on the impeachment vote, she voted present 
She voted present. She didn't vote yes. She didn't vote no. Uh, so instead of taking a stand on an issue that is critically important, she voted present. So that means she didn't, it was basically like an abstain. She didn't even like vote to hold this person, this man accountable. And she's running for the Democratic, she's running in the Democratic primary. So that's probably what you want in your leader. Someone <laughs> who doesn't take the hard choice, hard votes or explain themselves. So anyway, that's Tulsi Gabbard at the moment. Um, and uh, I am done. One minute and 48 seconds. So well within the three minute time frame. I love it. Uh, a little note about uh, Tulsi Gabbard is the former Hawaii governor, Neil uh, Abercrombie, um, has said that she is, quote, incapable of juggling her congressional duties and her bid for president. Uh, and that was the former go- governor of Hawaii who served nine terms in the House before he became uh, the uh, governor. So my decision, Hills, is I want to see as little of Tulsi Gabbard as humanly possible. Uh, <laughs> Why am I not surprised? I, I would <laughs> I would rather she never be brought up on this podcast or any podcast ever again. So I'm going to take this side dish and dump it right outside into the snow and then go burn it and then bury it. <laughs> you know, when uh, Josh and I, oh, the pot, the side dish was going to be about someone else. But when Tulsi Gabbard voted present, we could not help ourselves. How insane that is. Yeah. She that is. she would vote present. Like, why vote present? I mean, what do you think your endgame is here, Josh? I, I, cannot, I cannot wrap my head around it. I honestly don't know. It's, it's honestly... It's bewildering. Just the, I mean, you're running in the Democratic Party, and and uh, you know, I could I could have come around to respecting the fact had she voted, uh, yeah, or had she had she voted no, then she can go on and say, you know what, like you know, and her 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 reasoning is not completely ridiculous. She said, I think we should censor the president, not impeach him. And if that's the vote that you're going to take, then fine, then just vote no, right? But just but to vote present, just not even have the balls to just say, this is what I want to do and blah, blah, blah. No, I'm here. I witnessed it. But not actually voting, you know, on the issue. Ugh. It just, ugh. it's beyond infuriating. Yeah, if you want to censor the president because that will obviously do something to him, you know, uh, then just vote no. But you're voting, you're voting, you're, I don't know, it just shows like a real character. Like she's not willing to, like you should make it, you should make a stand on this issue. And if you say, if you don't, if you vote against it, then you know what? That's where you are. That's whatever it is. But instead of, you took like the, the least of both worlds and you made it who you are. It just shows who she is at the end of the day. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, so okay. I want as little of her as possible. That's my verdict. Uh, Josh has decided, and uh, we will try and keep Tulsi Gabbard off this podcast as much as we can. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, we have something that will let make us less infuriating uh, for your dessert. So you waited all podcast, and uh, you get rewarded uh, coming up. <laughs> Okay, guys, here it is. It's dessert time. You've waited for this moment, and it is here. 
as a reminder of the dessert topic, uh, Hills and I are going to go through all uh, of the Star Wars movies, and we're going to compare them with each Democratic candidate. Now, there are only 11 Star Wars movies, and so we took the top 11 Democratic candidates and put them to a Star Wars movie. So we did not include people like Marianne Williamson, Deval Patrick, uh, John Delaney, or Michael Bennett. Those people got left off because they should all drop out. So we have the rest of them that, that, are, that are here. And we're going to go back and forth. Um, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with my uh, candidate from worst to best because my candidates are in order of people of who I want to win the nomination. As of right now, it could obviously change. And then the Star Wars movie that they uh, correspond with and why. And then Hills is going to give me uh, the same candidates and the Star Wars movie uh, that he put with that. So are you ready, oh, Hillsy? I am ready. Uh, I am so ready. All right. Here we go. Starting with number 11. Number 11 for me is Tulsi Gabbard. She comes as no surprise. And for me... Tulsi Gabbard is Attack of the Clones. Um, because if you watch that movie again, it's a mess. And Tulsi Gabbard is a mess. Uh, Anakin Skywalker doesn't like sand. Tulsi Gabbard is from Hawaii where there's a lot of sand. Uh, Anakin Skywalker says that sand gets everywhere. I want to shove Tulsi Gabbard's head in the sand and see how she, she likes it. Um, Attack of the Clones is probably my worst it's probably my least favorite Star Wars movie, and Tulsi Gabbard is my least favorite candidate. So it was uh, a no-brainer for me. Tulsi Gabbard is Attack of the Clones. Wow. Um, so <laughs> I like I love the reasoning for that. G- uh, Gabbard, for me, it is not my least favorite Star Wars movie, but I think Gabbard, uh, she's my least favorite candidate, but uh, corresponds best with Solo. Uh, Solo, for mm. me, um, a good attempt, but also why is she even doing this? <laughs> <laughs> like like Disney good attempt but why are you even doing this like <laughs> I don't I don't I do not dislike Solo it is not my least favorite movie just I thought she Dilsa Gabbard's going solo she's like doing her own thing why though there you go. so that was that was Gabbard for me I like it all right number 10 for me my 10th candidate that I want to win the nomination is Tom Steyer and for me Tom Steyer is the Phantom Menace, um, because Tom Steyer is someone that a lot of star, a lot of uh, Democratic uh, people haven't really heard a lot about. You don't really know a lot about him, and I feel like there are a number of people in the Phantom Menace that we never hear from again, like Qui Gon Jinn. He's great, but we never hear from Qui Gon Jinn again in the series. Uh, you know, uh, there's that guy that. Um, the guy that owns uh, Anakin Skywalker's mother, great. We never hear from him again. Um, you could make the argument that Darth Maul, although, you know, spoiler alert, he does show up in Solo. But we never, for the most part, we never really see from him again in the other episodes. And Tom Steyer is a guy, it's like, oh yeah, he's there. He's the donated Democratic campaigns. But he's, he's, never, uh, he, he's never actually someone that we have heard about or will hear about again. Um, also, Tom Steyer, when he gives his response, he looks you dead in the eye and does not break eye contact. And that's my eyes when uh, Duel of the Fates comes on, when uh, Qui-Gon Jinn and, and Obi-Wan are battling Darth Maul. My eyeballs look like Tom Steyer's, <laughs> and that I look dead into the camera 
and don't ever blink. <laughs> so, for those reasons, Tom Steyer is the wow, uh, compelling reasoning. Uh, Tom Steyer scored higher for me uh, in the middle of the pack. Uh, I thought Tom Steyer was Rogue One. Uh, a little bit, a little bit different. It's like a Star Wars story, so it's not necessarily. Um, it's not an episode. It's it's a solid movie, and I would watch it again. But also, it's not it's not an episode. It's kind of like a uh, fun little diversion. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I think Steyer is. You know, it's it. He's not for me. He's not terrible. Um, I mean, he's he and he's pretty good. But also, like, also not not the feature film. You know, he's like. The yeah, little, yeah. the the fun film. Uh, so he's in the middle of the yeah, pack for me. Okay. Rogue One scored... Yeah, Rogue One is literally in the middle for me. Like, I enjoyed it, but <laughs> also... Yeah, so that was Steyer. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up is Julian Castro. And for me, Julian Castro is The Last Jedi. And Ooh, wow. Julian Castro is The Last Jedi. And here's why. The... The critics love Julian Castro. They love the fact that he is Hispanic. He's from Texas. He uh, came out and had a, a, some very strong moments in the Democratic debate with speaking Spanish. He's part of the Obama uh, coalition. He ran HUD for Obama. However, the Democratic voters, a.k.a. the fans, hate Julian Castro for what he did to Joe Biden. And a lot of fans hate the Last Jedi. Fair. And that is my reasoning for why Julian Castro is The Last Jedi. The pundits love him, the critics love the movie, but the fans hate him for what he did to Joe Biden. And some some Star Wars fans, not me, I, I love the movie, but some Star Wars fans, uh, so that so that The Last Jedi ruined Star Wars, aka Julian Castro ruined Joe Biden. Wow. Fair. So, that is my reasoning for why Castro is involved. Very fair. I love uh, it makes sense with the critiques. Castro, to me, fell the use my second to last other. He was just ahead of Gabbard, and he is Attack of the Clones for me. Uh, he's an incomplete sequel. <laughs> to, he's an incomplete sequel <laughs> movie. He's got poor acting, as we saw on the stage, and as you mentioned with Anakin and Sand. If you watched Attack of the Clones, you will see immediately what we're talking about. It's not really. It's hating Christensen's fault, also George Lucas, but and uh, really poor lines, like the way that uh, he delivered the, the the attack on Biden. So, you know, he was an attempt to be a sequel movie that just ended up being a dismal failure and just a terrible to watch. Uh, <laughs> so that's Castro. All right. So so far, I've got Gabbard is Attack of the Clones, Styers Phantom Menace. Castro is the last Jedi. Moving on to Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg is my eighth choice for president, and Mike Bloomberg to me is Revenge of the Sith. Interesting. I was wow. very close to doing that too. And the reason is because uh, Mike Bloomberg's been around for a while. He's kind of switched parties, and now he's just saying, "You know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna do whatever I want, and I'm gonna run for, for president." And he could really end up screwing over the, the Democrats in a lot of ways with the whole billionaire thing, just like Anakin Skywalker screwed over Revenge of the Sith. And don't get me wrong, Mike Bloomberg has done some good things, and there are lots of really good parts in Revenge of the Sith. The battle between um, between uh, uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin, I mean, 
Mike Bloomberg has done stuff on climate change. He's put things, he, he's created every town. He's running millions of dollars of ads against Trump. Those are all good things. At the same time, though, at the end of the day, Anakin Skywalker does become Darth Vader and the Jedi Order does fall. At the end of the day, Mike Bloomberg decided that he was going to enter this race because he's a billionaire. He did, he did do stop and frisk. And he's incredibly unpopular. Yeah. <laughs> so for for those reasons, uh, Mike Bloomberg is Revenge of the Sith. I also think that Mike Bloomberg is as old as, uh, or I like to think of him as old as Palpatine is when after he has his energy drained from uh, Miss Windu. So there's an, an old factor there. I think that's, <laughs> that's very fair. I was very close to putting him as Revenge of the Sith. But I, um, and... I really like, I put Bloomberg as Return of the Jedi, episode six. Not because I really, I actually really like Return of the Jedi, and it's not necessarily correlation to my feelings on Bloomberg. But um, I thought Bloomberg was a fitting, could be a fitting end to an original story that should have done it, but we kept going. (laughs) Um, Mm, Like, I feel like this was probably the one that least synced up with what i had on the list um i feel like all my other options really make sense um but this one was like well bloomberg fit in there kind of he was like the old original almost um i don't dislike bloomberg at all Uh, and i like episode six immensely more than i like bloomberg but that's where i that's where i put him so this was probably the weakest one that i had on my list okay because one of my Weaker ones is coming up a little bit later. Um, all right. <clears throat> Next, I have Andrew Yang as number seven <laughs> for me, as the seventh person I would like to be president. And for me, Andrew Yang is the rise of Skywalker. No way. The rise what? of Skywalker. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why, Elsie. Andrew Yang is the rise of Skywalker. And the reason Andrew Yang is the rise of Skywalker is because the fans absolutely love the rise of Skywalker. And the fans go nuts for Andrew Yang. The Yang Gang is real, as we talked about in this podcast. The Yang Gang is legit, and people will live and die for Andrew Yang. However, the critics of The Rise of Skywalker did not like the movie, and the pundits continue to discount Andrew Yang. They continue to say, he won't do this, he won't do that, he can't do this, he knows nothing about that, the Freedom Dividend is so dumb, and he keeps proving the, the critics wrong, he keeps rising and the rise of skywalker i absolutely loved it i'm not gonna give any spoilers because it did just come out not too long ago but i absolutely love the movie and the fans love the movie and the fans love andrew yang so for me andrew yang is the rise of Skywalker. wow wow compelling reasoning um uh <laughs> andrew yang for me is the phantom menace episode one <laughs> he's not a menace not because oh i think God. he's a menace i do not think andrew yang is a menace i he's a really nice guy so uh, he's episode one for me because uh, he's a nice guy but the phantom menace tries to be too fun and is just a bit underwhelming at the end of the day <laughs> for a star wars movie oh God. so so for a candidate he tries to be so fun and <laughs> and uh and serious, but at the end of the day, you just kind of been like, huh, is this, is this it? Is this, is this what we're getting here? And it's like, that was fun, but I thought we were getting a little more. Uh, so, Man, um, Hilsey has, has, has now incensed. Yang gang, I don't gang. mean war. They are coming for him. 
I hear the protests outside of his apartment. Yeah. I, I apologize <laughs> to all the Yang fans. I, I enjoy the Phantom Menace, but again, uh, you know, <laughs> I thought it corresponded with Yang. No, Hills. Oh, you made it boy. very perfectly clear in, where you stand on Andrew I am Yang. in it now. <laughs> all right. Number six for me, the sixth person that I want to be president is Cory Booker. And for me, Cory Booker is solo. Okay, okay. Um, he's solo for me because he's out there now basically not doing any, anything in the debates. He's literally rocking it solo. Uh, and he has some very interesting parts. Look, everyone loves Han Solo. Everyone loves Han Solo. Everyone loves uh, Lando, right? Everyone loves those, those people. But, you know, the movie's... It's fine. It's it's good. Like you know, it's it's great. But at the end of the day, you want someone with Han Solo to, to have a little more. There's a little more there, right? And with Booker, there's so much more there, and you just wonder why it's not resonating with people. So the fact that he is literally going about his campaign solo right now, um, and the fact that you know I just kind of wanted a little more from Booker. That I I had such high hopes for him. I followed him. I watched his documentary. I followed him when he was you know senator and you know i linked that with han solo and his journey throughout uh episodes you know four through six and seven <clears throat> um and you know it just kind of it leaves a little bit to be desired uh and from that reason um booker is solo uh, i think our reasoning is really similar but we have different choices for booker um okay. booker for me is the last jedi and uh booker was number four to the bottom of my list um i like the last jedi but compared to all the other movies it doesn't it like falls to the bottom ish uh the last jedi very deep but tries to do too many things and ended up just doing only a few of them right (laughs) um and that's what i think booker does booker had so many different messages and i still don't know what he stands for coming out of the gate um he's a very deep and thoughtful person but he doesn't he's doing way too many things and ends up doing almost none of them right so um that's why i thought the last jedi at the end of the day fine movie but also like different and needed to focus and that's booker all right right, so now we're at top five a top five candidates number five for me is bernie sanders and Bernie Sanders is Empire oh, Strikes so Back. So close. We almost had the same answer. Oh, God. Okay. Empire Strikes Back. Great movie. Okay. Classic. It's it's a classic. <clears throat> um, and it's been it's been around for as long as Bernie Sanders has been in, in, in the Senate. Is one of them. I want to be my chosen. But also, <clears throat> Hillary should have finished the job. And she didn't. And Bernie Sanders comes right back. He is back. He is he is better than ever. He is uh, a young spring chicken up on the debate stage with him waving his hands and writing the damn bill. And you know he has some some funny moments. But Bernie's supporters are huge. People think that he was wronged. He needs to strike back. He's coming back. Uh, he could win very easily win New Hampshire and Iowa and be in a very strong position that he was. Um, and uh, the Empire uh, Strikes Back kind of leaves you kind of feeling uh, not really sure. You know, this is a big win for the Empire. And I'm not comparing Bernie Sanders to the evil Empire. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I just think that, that 
it's just, I love the Empire Strikes Back. You know, Bernie Sanders is great. I, he's not my top choice by any means, uh, but he's something that we, we should take serious. And he has come back for Second Blood. So that for that's why he is Empire Strikes Back. Uh, you have the Bernie Bros coming at your door, and I have the Yang Gang coming at me. Uh, we we almost chose the same answer. I have Bernie as episode four, A New Hope. Um, he's the he's the OG. He's the original, right? He's been there forever. He knew you uh, you know you're getting the classic when you when you get Bernie. You know exactly what you're getting. You're getting the original story, um, and uh, you know I don't I Bernie's not the top of my list. Episode four is at the top of my list, but not not necessarily Bernie, but. Uh, you know, I uh, I thoroughly enjoy episode four, but I think uh, if you had to equate them, Bernie is uh, is the classic. He's the original story, so yeah. that that's what I chose. Yeah. Okay. Alrighty. All right. <clears throat> Number four for me is Amy Klobuchar. She's my fourth choice, and Amy Klobuchar for me is the Force. Awakens. Oh my God, Josh, we did it. We have the same one. Yes, we did it. We did it. Oh my God, The Force Awakens. So, Amy Klobuchar is The Force Awakens because, for me at least, because after this last uh, debate, it looked like she literally woke up. <laughs> yeah. She literally woke up and was attacking, you know, she attacked Pete, she attacked Biden, she attacked everyone, and she and she had a great debate, right? The Force Awakens is a great movie. She's she's young. Um, she's younger compared to all the other candidates besides maybe Pete. Um and you know she's like the new this new generation of like midwestern gonna kind of mix it up uh you know i can beat trump and i make really corny jokes uh which is similar to the style that you know the new movies are in the new generation the new uh 789 is the new you know kobachar is the new one there um and uh yeah she literally just woke up and i was like why well, she asked you the fourth awakens because she was going to be way down on my list before that but the last debate really you know she had a really good last debate, um, and could start. And this could start something for her. It could start something for her campaign, just like the Force Awakens starting started a, a new trilogy. Yeah, uh, uh, Josh, I have almost the same reasoning that you do. She woke up in this debate. Yes. Um, Amy Klobuchar was in the middle of my list as well. Um, a very very solid uh, uh, movie, but also a reprise with new flair. Um, but again, also more of the original, like. You're not getting anything different. You know you're getting the classic. You're getting like a Bernie, uh, but uh, updated Bernie almost, or an updated um, classic candidate, but a very solid candidate nonetheless, and something you would watch again. So that's that's what I chose yeah, for Klobuchar. Nice. Excellent. Three more, All right? right. Uh, now in my top three. For me, number three, and this one is the one that just doesn't make any sense, so I'll try and, and spin it. Um, for me... I have Elizabeth Warren, uh, and Elizabeth Warren for me is Rogue One. So she's Rogue One for me. And part of the reason she's Rogue, Rogue One is I really didn't have any other place to put her. All the other ones kind of fell into place, and I was kind of left with Rogue One. Um, but I'm okay with it. Rogue One is is a Star Wars story, and Elizabeth is kind of the story of is a story of the Democratic Party with her rise into into how she became so prominent and her humble. Uh, beginnings um elizabeth warren has some badass moments just like darth vader does at the end of that you know she has some badass responses uh when she can take on trump 
She has some bad responses with her creation of the Consumer Financial Bureau. Um, so she has these badass moments, just like Rogue One does. It is a Star Wars story. She has, she has telling a story of, you know, being from Oklahoma and her rise and being in Harvard and all that stuff. Um, so those are the reasons. It's not my strongest pick. It just kind of fell into uh, where she was just kind of the one that I had left. And I really like the Star Wars story. I really like Elizabeth Warren. Not my top choice. But uh, for me, she's Rogue One. Very interesting. Um, I hear you. I hear you on the the Vader scene. I hear you. Uh, For me, Warren is episode five. Um, She is perhaps the best of them all. uh, And you know you're still in for a story. Um, Because she's got stuff to her. I mean, she's kind of like the Bernie redo. She's like Bernie, but like return of the Bernie almost. Like an up, like a... The next step from Bernie in terms of four and five, um, you know, uh, I really love episode. I think episode five is my favorite uh, Star Wars movie. Uh, Warren was my favorite up until recently. Um, but yeah, I think she's, uh, you know, could be the best of them all. And, um, you know, packs a punch. That's so that's why I chose Warren as episode five. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Number two for me is Joe Biden. And for me, Joe Biden is Return of the Jedi. And here's why Joe Biden is Return of the Jedi. So Return of the Jedi should have been the one to finish it off. And Joe Biden should be the one to finish it off. We should have done it, should have been finished with Barack Obama. And then we messed up. And so now Joe Biden has to return. He has to come back. He has to return one more time right? Return of the Jedi, return of the, of the Biden. He's got to come back and say, look, you guys messed up. You guys have Trump in office. Here I am. I'm going to end it for you, right? I'm going to st- I'm going to end this whole thing. We'll get, we'll get rid of this whole right wing debate, whole Trumpy thing. I'll come back. I will return one more time and I will save you guys. And then that's it. That should be the end of the series. It shouldn't end anymore. Um, and so for that reason, Joe Biden is return of the Jedi. Interesting. You know, if I switch Bloomberg and Biden, we have the same two. Um, Biden for me was episode three, Revenge of the Sith, because Biden is fun, compelling, and a logical end to a timeline. But you can't help thinking it may not be. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I thought, you know, Biden is a fun candidate uh, to watch. He's, he's animated. He's the logical end. You know, the thing, same reasoning with Barack Obama. But you can't help thinking it may not be the end. <laughs> so that's why I chose Biden. But I'm kind of on the fence between him and Bloomberg. Maybe I should switch Biden to six and Bloomberg three. Um, I really yeah, enjoy three too, though. Three is on the top of my list um, in the top four. Yeah. So I don't know. That was that was my choice. I think we only have one more left. All right. right. And we do only have one more left. And uh, for me, Pete Buttigieg is a new hope. And here's why he's a new hope. Because Pete Buttigieg is someone that we've never heard of in the Democratic Party before. Uh, and he literally has come from, from from nowhere, just like a Star Wars came from literally nothing. And you watch Pete Buttigieg, and you're like, oh my god, this is great. This could go so many, this could go so many ways. I want to see more of him. And I equate that to the first time that I saw Star Wars with, oh my god, this is so great. I want to see more of this. This could go in so many ways. And A New Hope is, in my in my opinion, one of the best episodes of, of, of all time. And Pete Buttigieg is my top candidate. 
He has reinvigorated my hope in democracy, my hope in the Democratic Party. He is my top choice. And he is someone that I think could spark something that is so wonderful for the Democratic Party. could spark a whole new uh, issue of candidates being a, a gay man from Indiana. You know, that opens the door to so many people, just as New Hope opened the door to so many uh, other uh, options. So, so for me, Pete Buttigieg is... Very fair. Uh, very fair. Very um, appropriate. Um, for me, Pete Buttigieg is episode nine, Rides of Skywalker. Um, some of the same reasons. Uh, uh, flashy, exciting, and honestly could be the best of the entire series. But may need to clean up a few things. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but also the way Rise of Skywalker ends, I thought is very similar to what Pete Buttigieg can be. Um, like the, the ending of the saga. Um, uh, I'm not going to go through... I, well, I have detail to explain that, but again, if you haven't watched the movie, I'm not going to be unfair to you. Anyway, I mean, I honestly, Pete's in my uh, my top. Episode nine is in like my top four. It, it's right now. It's I'm like thinking of it's as three. I really enjoyed it, um, and like yeah, it could be the best one of them all. <laughs> but uh, needs to clean yeah. up a couple of things to get it stronger. So that's what I thought Pete was. There you go. So this was a very long uh, dessert, but it was much needed. Uh, I loved every second of it, and I think our viewer, our listeners, will love it too. Absolutely. All right. So we'll come back. We'll uh, in just a second and we'll wrap up with the pre dinner shot. And uh, that's coming up next. You had a nice big dessert. Uh, it was a long one, but I think we really enjoyed doing it. So I hope you enjoy listening to it. The answer to your pre dinner shot. Again, the, the question to this, uh, the question for this episode was. Which media mogul owns influential media companies in the U.S., the U.K., and Australia and helps shape their election outcomes? And the answer is Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch, he owns News Corp. Um, News Corp uh, is a big company that owns everything from uh, the Wall Street Journal, News UK, which publishes The Sun and The Times, News Corp Australia, Realtor.com, uh, HarperCollins Book Publisher, and closer to home, Fox News. Um, all Anglo countries, you know, the, the New Zealand, Australia, Canada, UK, and the US have some sort of uh, outlet from News Corp, and it spreads conservative and far-right talking points and, of course, misinformation so Rupert Murdoch can keep his wealth and with his fr- and for his friends. So just another billionaire screwing up the world for his own gang. Again, Rupert Murdoch, he's the one who controls all this conservative media in every single country that has conservative wins recently. It's his fault. This is all his fault. It's, it's, uh, there is a fair share of blame to go to Rupert Murdoch, Murdoch for sure. Most of it's his fault. <laughs> um, well, <clears throat> man, way to, end, way to end on a downer, Hills. Jeez. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm still on the high from this, uh, the Star Wars list, so can't take me, me down from that. That's true. Me too. R- Rupert Mur- Murdoch can't take that from us. We'll always have that. Or can he? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, anything else, Hills, before we uh, close out? That's it for me. Yeah. Well, uh, before we go, 
Two important messages. The intro and outro music is done by Brett Hillsberg. If you enjoy, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. It really does help us out uh, seeing how many people subscribe to it. Uh, tell your friends to listen. And if you can, share this episode on any kind of social media. Uh, if you want to donate, go to the info section on the episode that you are listening to and you have the option to donate. Uh, any questions, uh, please email threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Again, it's threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Uh, to our listeners, uh, thanks for listening. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Hills, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah to all. All right, everyone. Have a great holiday season, and we will talk to you soon. All right, bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Thank you.